0: You'll see a lot of documentation that you want your frontline sales leaders coaching their team, interacting with clients 50% of the time. That's ideal. So one of the first things I often do is just say, let's do a calendar study and let's look at your last couple of weeks and see where you've actually been spending your time. And I'm talking, these are great companies that are doing a lot right how much time their frontline leaders are actually coaching so instead of 50 five, zero, it's more like 15 one, 5 of the time that they're actually spending coaching their team and so i think those calendar studies are a super important tool and it's definitely i think a practical tactical takeaway that i would walk away from today to do that with them on a regular basis at a minimum quarterly
1: this is reveal the revenue intelligence podcast here to help go-to-market leaders do one thing stop guessing if you're ready to unlock reality and reach your full potential then this show is for you i'm danny wasserman coming to you from the gong studios howdy 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 for any of those john oliver fans out there his last week tonight salutation of welcome 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 i kind of like howdy 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 right i'm from colorado i'm a denver guy i look like a doofus in a cowboy hat but that one just feels right anyways we digress welcome back to reveal it's no longer Sasserman. It might be Danny the Rev for Revenue Intelligence. Or maybe we just say, well, do we like Wasas Boss? All that is to say, the moniker shopping continues, but we're not talking about me. We're talking about this week's jam-packed episode covering everything there is to know about how to coach and grow. And we're going to come back to that acronym, GROW Rockstar Sales Reps out of equally rockstarish ish leaders. Well, question for you did you know when you contemplate all of the virtues of leadership that there's a fundamental difference between coaching teaching and directing yes there is and we should not marginalize the distinction of when you use any of those three modalities of management to tell you a little bit more about that we've got sarah bedwell joining the gong studios she's the founder of sarah bedwell llc which is her own business helping go-to-market leaders cultivate even more effective and impactful strategies that drive results. Because we heard from our listeners, you want tactical blueprints leaving these episodes. She's going to give you just that. We all want our sales teams to be in line. And really, coaching them to a T is Sarah bringing all of the most effective elements from her playbook that are being widely utilized across the go-to-market and technology spaces. I've got a personal relationship with Sarah that I'll tell you about at the end of the episode. She's made an incredibly impactful and formative impression on my life personally and professionally. And I'm excited because she's also going to hit you between the eyes with this idea. Would you say in your sales process something that is inherently not super sexy? Sounds kind of trite. Well, are you in running your sales process a ready fire aim organization or a ready aim fire organization? a conundrum that is plaguing more organizations than we'd care to admit. So with that said, I am thrilled to shut up, put a cork in it, and yield the floor to the sales leader queen herself, the savviest of strategists, Sarah Bedwell. Join us. DJ, spin that. I'm quivering in my boots, not because you're intimidated, but I'm quivering in my boots only because I want to do this opportunity justice. Sarah Bedwell, welcome. I hope that was sufficient, but welcome to Reveal.
0: Thank you so much, Danny. I am thrilled to be here. What an introduction. I'm stoked to talk today about one of yeah. my favorite topics, sales leaders, revenue leaders, people who I love very dearly. I work with every single day, have an incredibly hard, incredibly important job. So thank you for having me.
1: It tees up the discussion so well, SB, as we'll affectionately refer to you on the episode, because You know, as we've all come into organizations, we've been onboarding. And I think inherently onboarding or even everboarding those ongoing sustained reinforcement and new trains have a focus specifically on ICs or individual contributors. And we're finding, as the old adage goes, people don't leave companies, they leave managers. And now with all of the research you've done, the work you are cornering in this market, talk to us a little bit about what are the pitfalls, not advertently, not intentionally, but what are the pitfalls you see in these leading organizations? What are you finding in that role-specific, leader-specific, manager-specific competency development that you're so gifted at?
0: Yeah, so the cool part is that I'm actually seeing some really common issues across companies of all sizes. So whether you're big or small, there's a couple lever points that I think everybody should be pulling right now. And specifically that is sales process. So do you have a rigorous Sales process with customer verified activity that was built the proper way. So, just having one isn't enough. (laughs) You got to have the right kind. Are your frontline leaders making time to coach to it? How are they coaching to it? And I have yet to visit a company yet where they're actually 10 out of 10 on all three of those things. And it's one of the most important things that you can do to get a double digit increase in your win rate and in your revenue attainment. And right now, you know, a lot of companies are really thinking about churn is so important. And I think the thing with the frontline leaders is, you know, we've all been doing this for such a long time and you've seen it so often. You know, big initiative gets identified at the top, you know, at training gets rolled out. Everybody is quote unquote trained. But if you take the time to go and then watch the conversations and that your frontline sales leaders are having with their teams to actually go and implement that, it's a bit of a chilling moment and it's not their fault. It is not their fault. If you pull up the you know calendar of a frontline sales manager today, you see a wall of meetings. I mean, these are some of the busiest people in the entire organization. So how can we put some things in place that really help them be as great as they want to be in their striving every day? And it's really those three, three things. And I'm super passionate about all three. So we can dive into whatever you like, Wasserman. Let's do all three of those. The first one
1: And forgive me, because when you say you need to have a sales process, like, oh, duh, like, isn't that kind of a (laughs) trite kind of like, no shit? But the term you used was a proper sales process. So for folks that are ICs that listen in our audience of 33,000 unique monthly listeners, thanks, everybody, for continuing to tune in. But if you're an IC or you're a manager or you're in operations, walk us through, well, what are the kind of like, oh, man, like, maybe our sales process needs begs revisiting what are those things we should be on the lookout for
0: yeah absolutely and first of all I just want to acknowledge a lot of people like I was talking to an incredible enterprise leader you know a couple of days ago and she's like, oh God another sales operation sales process So I know that for most of us I mean I experienced it in the decade I was selling it was just bullets on a page and it was a pain in the butt more than anything else when mm-hmm. you get a real sales process, it is so empowering. I use it with every single one of my clients. It's been, uh, when I'm selling, it's transformative. And so here are the differences. Most of the time what I see, and I'm talking about blue chip, premier technology and healthcare companies that are doing a lot right. I go in and I see these things. So first of all, our sales process was built from the inside out, meaning it wasn't built based on, it wasn't built based on how buyers buy. And then we aligned to that. It was built, you know, three years ago because we went and interviewed some of our top salespeople and we said, okay, what are you guys doing? So it's not actually based on the buyer's journey. That's the first thing. The second thing I see a lot of is that the exit criteria to move between each stages are not customer verifiable actions. And what I mean by that is as you leave each stage, the decision point on whether you can move that deal forward should be an action that is verifiable by you that the customer takes. Mm -hmm. And I can give you an example of that. And then the third is most of the time they're not actually coaching to it. So between those three things, yes, technically you have a sales process and I can absolutely assure you it's not not being used to drive the results that you're thinking.
1: When we don't have actions, there are checkpoints that are customer verifiable or the other criteria that you just outlined, what's at stake? Because to your point, We've got these blue chip companies that have something. It may be rickety. It may be janky, but they've got something. What are they leaving on the table by having an inefficient or a less than optimal sales process today?
0: So much, so much. And what's so cool about this, by the way, is that at least in the research I most recently read, only one in five companies are doing this. So if you're out there right now and you're looking for a competitive differentiator, Mm. this is absolutely one. So I was talking to a client last week and she said, Sarah, one of the biggest things that's on our mind right now is churn, right? With market conditions being the way that they are, you know, it used to be that if we could just work with kind of like the, you know, mid-level decision maker and keep them happy, they would renew. And now all of a sudden there's all these people in the deal, you know, they're laying people off and and the numbers are going down. And so I said, okay, well talk to me, like what process have you put in place for your teams to mitigate this for, yeah. you know... A, continuous process of communicating value realized and joint account planning. Well, we don't really have that, but you know, our people are like, are super smart, right? So I think that what we're finding is even in these companies that have done so well, where literally they told me we didn't even have enough, we didn't have enough churn to have enough data to analyze, to figure out why people weren't renewing. That's how good we work. The picture has totally changed. And so I think what people are seeing is they're seeing a ton of churn because they're not engaged at the right level and communicating value the right way. I think that they're seeing, oftentimes you'll see a sales funnel where in the later stages, the dropout rate increases and the length of time in stage increases, which means they didn't do things properly in the early stages. You actually want a martini shaped sales pipeline where it's longer through the early stages and then it goes fast through the later. And so I think in this time, you know, Process matters more than ever. I'm having other clients who they're finding that what their core offering is becoming commoditized. Well, guess what? Having a process that makes you easy to do business with easier, that is a competitive differentiator. when you sound the same as everybody else. So it's just like, the, I think the stakes are huge and and this, this stuff works. So does that answer your question?
1: <laughs> it sure does. Because I think everyone does do the proverbial eye roll when they hear just sales yep. process. It's yep. not 100%. sexy. No, It's not fun right and it's one of these i won't call necessary evils but it's one of these unavoidable truths to maintaining your competitive edge so when we do say sales processing our knee-jerk reactions oh this is something that is just sort of stable stakes but it's insignificant no i appreciate you illuminating for us that you may be oblivious to the rippling ramifications internally and externally if this stuff is not but
0: not probably Look, well and well, actually, ask your question. There's one other thing I want to add to this. Please go. Okay. So one, one of the things that like when someone first told this to me, so some of my partners are really senior people in private equity, right? So I'm not saying this because it's my opinion. I'm saying it because people I work with, they literally do this 50 or 60 times a year to yeah. turn companies around and it works. So <laughs> I remember saying, okay, I get it in theory, but can you like give me an example? Like, so I can really get this. So- I remember the first time I built a proper sales process with one of my partners, a guy named Dan Perry, who's absolutely incredible. His background is, you know, sales benchmark index. he has been doing this for years. He's done this with, at scale with companies like HPE, he's done it with small companies and private equity. And, he's, and so we sat down and he's like, hey, client team, this is how we're going to build this. The first thing that we're going to do is we're going to identify your ideal customer profile. So one of the things that I see when, if you're going to go, leave this and say, hey, let's refresh our sales process. Awesome. There are go-to-market prerequisites to doing that properly that don't have anything to do with hitting your frontline leader yet. And the first one of those is identifying who are our most profitable customers and how do they buy? So he actually went through an exercise with them of refreshing their ICP and just understanding the core four or five things that determine if a customer is gonna be super valuable for us and have a high close rate or not. Oftentimes, companies haven't done that for a little while. So just make sure that that is current and up to date. And then the second thing he said is, okay, we're going to identify all the personas on that buying decision team. And, you know, we we hear the number on average, there's 10.4 now, you know, decision makers involved. Well, most of our sales peoples, especially, you know, if we're not talking enterprise, you know, they're engaged with what, two, three, maybe four. Yeah. With enterprise, sometimes it can balloon up to 60. So he said, it doesn't mean that we're going to make salespeople talk to every single one every single time, but let's actually list out every single person down to the gatekeepers. And then we're going to take those one at a time. And we're going to ask, what is that person thinking and feeling and doing at each step of that decision process? And what you find is as you start to really think about the actual human beings, the real people that we interact with there are stark differences in what they care about at each stage of the process. And your sellers need to be armed to address all of that. So simple example, working with a healthcare company maybe two weeks ago, and they said, well, you know, we have a program that people refer clients to us to get into our health program. We have therapists that do it. We also have caseworkers at hospitals. Well, it turns out as we did this exercise, what do therapists care about? This is my patient who I know and I love. Is this program one that is has good outcomes? Like, is it going to work? Is it a nice environment? Are they going to refer my patient back to me? Or am I just going to lose them to the abyss of this company? Those are the things the therapist is worried about. You know what the caseworker is worried about? How fast can they get in? Do they take the insurance our hospital works with? Will they work with our hospital insurance systems? It is completely different. Mm-hmm. And so as you start, so the, this process is essentially, you know, the go-to-market prerequisites, like identifying ICP and personas, but then it's creating this buyer's journey. The people we sell to, what are they thinking and feeling and doing along the way? And it's only once you actually have that map, then you create your three sales processes, you know, lead generation, opportunity management, value realization. Now, what I've found when you do it that way and you apply it correctly with the making time for coaching and the actual coaching, it is it makes it so clear what your strategy should be in deals. I mean, it's just revelatory. And I use it with all my own clients and and it's transformed my business. So I'm hugely passionate, but I hope that helps paint a, a little bit of a picture of what's different than, you know, going and interviewing three of your salespeople and say, what did you do? Okay, let's tell everybody to do that again every single time.
1: Well, <laughs> it is a really nice transition into, because we talked about, okay, you just need to have a sales process. You talked about your three things yep. when we kicked off this episode. I want to make sure we get to the second and the third things, so people know exactly what is or isn't missing. But then if we could, let's save time because you've alluded to this importance of sequencing. So why don't we hit off the second and the third and then we'll pivot.
0: Okay, perfect. So, I mean, the nice thing, making time for coaching isn't too long of a topic. It's so funny. So, you know, you'll see a lot of documentation that you want your frontline sales leaders coaching their team interacting with clients 50% of the time or, you know, that's ideal. So one of the first things I often do is just say, let's do a calendar study and let's look at your last couple of weeks and see where, where you've actually been spending your time. You want to take any guesses on how much time most, and I'm talking, these are great companies that are doing a lot, right? How how much time their frontline leaders are actually coaching?
1: I think I'm like nervous to concede that it's probably and maybe like the low double digits, like
0: somewhere around 15, 20%. You nailed it. So instead of 50, five, zero, it's more like 15, one, 5 of the time that they're actually spending coaching their team. And I think that's a big shock to a lot of frontline leaders. They don't realize. So I think those calendar studies are, are a super important tool. And it's definitely, I think, a practical tactical takeaway that I would walk away from today to do that with them on a regular basis at a minimum quarterly. And there's a couple of reasons why they're not making time for coaching. And so let's talk about what coaching actually is. This is number three, because this is like super important. I think one of the roots that I see all the time, and I'm talking at people of of all levels, second, third, et cetera, line, sales leaders, is that they don't understand what coaching actually is. So there's a difference between coaching, teaching, and directing. A lot of people think coaching is telling. So one of the things I'll hear is I coach all the time. You know, I listen to their call or I go on a ride along with them to meet the client. And then I tell them what I think they needed to do differently. We, you know, we have a little debrief afterward. Well, let me ask you, last time you sat in a training for an hour where someone just talked at you, how much of that do you remember right now?
1: Oh my God, I love being talked at for an hour. I love some, you know, proverbial white male yelling at me in the front of the room for- Speaking as, you know, like that said, you know, white male. But I'm like, oh, my God, I'm shuddering just thinking like, have I ever done that? Oh, my God, I sure hope not. But it sucks. It sucks. And I don't remember anything. I just remember being like, boo, lame, yeah, cringe. Those exactly. are all the things that this is triggering, right? And
0: that was probably for the first like eight minutes. And then after that, you don't even know what they said because you were thinking about something else, right? So totally. it turns out it's not just you. It's it's your brain. It's all of our brain, the way that they're yeah. wired. So. The vast majority of our day, you know, we spend in our old brain, our habit brain. And this is very, very good because if we had to relearn how to use our laptop every day, you know, that is not going to work. So it's good that we spend 95% of our brain in our, our time in our habit brain. However, is that where new habits and skills are formed? No. New habits and skills are formed in our prefrontal cortex, which is up at the front. So what is one of the easiest ways to engage someone's prefrontal cortex?
1: I would say not talk at them, but ask them questions. Socratically, right?
0: Yes, especially open-ended questions. It literally, you see the brain activity, it jumps people up here. And so rather than tell people how they should do things or how you do things, if you implement a very simple, proven, effective coaching model like GROW, it is staggering what you will uncover that is the actual root cause of what's holding them back and very rapidly, what they need to do about it. So grow is, you know, many people are familiar with it. G-R-O-W. It's, there's other coaching formats. It's the one I'm partial to. But what is what is the difference? What does that sound like if we're putting all together coaching to sales sales process, right? This is what coaching isn't. Hey, how do you think that went? And they share something. Yeah, I agree. You know, you might also think about doing this, this and that. I'm not saying that's not valuable. Giving your direction is can be very valuable, but that is not coaching. That is telling. Coaching sounds like this G-R-O-W, right? Goal, reality, options way forward. Help me understand what was your goal for that meeting? Great. What what was your customer's goal? Okay, that's interesting. It sounds like maybe we weren't totally clear going in on that. Why do you think that is? You know, are you finding this is happening in other deals, et cetera? So when it comes to sales stages specifically, where I think this is so ingenious is what you start with is what stage do you believe this deal is at? Okay, so what's your goal? And your goal is, is to move this forward. And then reality, right? Help me understand why you think that this deal is at this stage. Let's just go back to the prior stages. Have we met these exit criteria? No, not yet. Okay, interesting. So actually, we haven't met these exit criteria, and yet you think the deal is here. Why is that? And boy, just the gems fall out of this process. So one thing we didn't hit on was the customer verified exit criteria. What that means simply is that to move stages, it needs to be things that the customer has said or done, not the salesperson. So Danny, I could send out, you know, 50 POs today to clients. And does that mean I have 50 deals in my pipeline? Yeah, of course not, right? But if I send out 50 POs and 10 people right back and they say, hey, this looks ex- like exactly what we want. We're going to get this in process. They take an action that verifies it. That's how we know we have something real. And you want those at every single gateway. So one of the things that we often do as we're talking about the sales process is we take people through that concept of the buyer's journey. So in their minds, mm-hmm. what they're going through, we then lay a proper sales process underneath that to say, so now do you see why at this stage we have a consensus play because typically you'll have these decision makers that aren't in alignment yet. They all need to say, yes, that's why we do this sales play here, right? So you've got what they're going through and then what we need to do. And then you'll say, okay, let's map out a real life customer that you have. Give me the first name. Who are you most engaged with at this deal? And let's just check, have they gone through each one of these emotional stages? And you create this really cool image of where these people are. And you know what happens almost every single time? And I'm talking enterprise, commercial, you name it. They realize, oh my God, some of these people are nowhere near where we thought or we're not sure. We haven't heard them say or do. There's no actual evidence. We're just guessing. And this deal is way further back than we realized. There's way more risk in it than we realized. And gosh, there's these four or five different people that are probably gonna be involved at some point and we have not engaged them at all. And so the coaching behind this becomes so incredibly powerful. But again, you're not telling them what to do. We're asking them questions that forces them to get out of their habit brain, to question themselves, to actually build these habits and skills for themselves so they can replicate it when you're not there.
1: We heard it from Sarah herself, just how crucial a process is when training and coaching, not just your reps, but also your leaders to make your success repeatable. And yes, okay, the theory of that makes sense. So let's back up this position with some hard-hitting numbers. According to an article from LinkedIn, 90% of all companies that use a formal, guided, repeatable sales process, well, those organizations rank as the highest performing. Businesses with that aforementioned sales process see up to a 28% increase in revenue as compares To those organizations that don't have that kind of process. Now, if that's not a wake-up call to develop your process and keep it up-to-date regularly, I don't know what is. So back to Sarah to tell you a little bit more about how to add that repeatability to both your sellers and your leaders. And what you've talked about, slowing down to take stock of where you're at, presumably uncovering to your chagrin that you are for lack of a better term, guilty of maybe having committed some of these fallacies or hiccups. But what now? Okay, so we have acknowledged that we're kind of in this like reactive, oh, man, we're going down a different trajectory rather than being, I've heard you say this before, I mean, just because of the speed in which we're forced to operate, rather than being this like ready fire and then re-examine: did we aim in the right way? Sarah, when we, I, I don't know. Acknowledge we are a ready fire aim culprit. How do we become more of a ready aim fire organization?
0: Great, great question. So like, what do we do with all of this? There's plenty I think organizations can do on their own. I don't think okay. they need to hire fancy consultants to do this stuff for them. That being said, there are some very good consultants, others that will do your sales process, by the way, exactly the same way. So we can always talk about the firms I recommend. But I think it's, you know, it's number one is you do need to get the go, those go-to-market prerequisites right. And you do need to map out your buyer's journey for your current market conditions because a lot has changed in the last six to 12 months. You probably have a lot more people involved making decisions on your deals than you did in the past. So even if you had a good one, you should be, re, you know, revisiting annually. It's time for a refresh probably anyway. And then create the sales process from that. But the trick is then, okay, so we have a a great, let's say it's a great, we wave a wand, we have a great sales process in hand. Well, how do we get our frontline managers enabled to do this? And what you absolutely don't want to do is sit them down and sit and get, you know, one-time training. So of course you want to be doing things like make sure that your sales force reflects your sales process. Doesn't mean you need to change your sales stages, but in terms of the detail at each stage, it should be reflecting that. So your system should support it. Marketing should be involved. So all of those questions that you're realizing that a persona is asking at each date, those are brilliant questions for marketing because marketing in their materials is answering those questions for those people. And then you need to train your frontline managers. And I think one of the things that we found with clients is people learn a skill with coaching and practice and feedback over time. So we have a phenomenal client. I mean, one of the most talented I've ever worked with they were implementing a frontline leadership program. And at the start, we measured, I don't know, I want to say like five or six different, we identified five or six different key skills that were really impactful to them that they felt they, they needed to improve on. And we measured them mm-hmm. at the start of the program. One of them was coaching. So one of the ways we did this is we actually used, you know, a, a brilliant call recording software, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> analytic software, and we had them record their one-on-ones with their own team. So in the moment that frontline manager is coaching their own salesperson, they recorded that on private and you want to see that, you know, they're talking less than half the time. That's a coaching mm-hmm. conversation. Well, some of them were talking upwards of 70% of the time. So it was a really clear marker that they're not actually coaching yet. So we we put them through this program, you know, three-day boot camp. at the end. They're just shouting, this is the best thing ever. This is the best training we've ever gotten. We're so inspired. This is why we work here. Great, right? Success. No way. We picked two of those skills. One of them was coaching to reinforce for five weeks after the program. And the way that we did it is we actually observed them applying this behavior in the field. We coached them, you know, what was your goal? How did that actually go? Where do you feel like you got stuck? Okay, what could you do better next time to get closer to your goal? Okay, way forward, what will you do? We did that week over week. We even had them do things like print out their transcripts And highlight, hey, highlight in yellow when you asked an open question and highlight in pink when you just talked at someone and highlight in blue the thing that you said that mattered most that really opened that person up, you know. And so over the course of the five weeks with this constant coaching and reinforcement on this specific skill, we saw their talk time, talk percentage time drop to below 50%, which is awesome. We saw their transcripts go from a wall of pink of them talking at people to, you know, lots of yellow, lots of blue, open questions, things that really got to the heart of what was holding their team back. And we heard their team say things like, you know, I feel like for the first time, my manager's sitting on the same side of the table as me. You know, I feel so empowered because now we realize that I'm actually able to lead my own negotiations at this stage. I didn't even realize I had the confidence to do that. I mean, it's just, It was so cool. And so we measured those same five or six skills at the end. Guess which are the ones then people made meaningful progress on? You know, the two we reinforced. Coming out of that sit and get, and by that I just mean like a one-time training event, they felt enthusiastic about all of them. But where they made demonstrable progress was what we reinforced week over week with one-on-one observation and coaching. But the thing that is so cool about that is now those frontline managers, they're going out and creating whole teams of people that know how to do that. And that's why this is such an important lever point. So I think that's the takeaway is, you know, get the go-to-market right, get your sales process right with customer verifiable exit criteria that's rigorous, that was built from the outside in, from the buyer's journey in, make time for coaching, get out of this 15%, get to 50%. We could always talk about that in another podcast, DNA, that's fun. And then (laughs) it is, teach them how to coach properly by coaching them properly over time. And
1: for the folks that have enrolled in this program that you so successfully ran, we have leaders of all different shapes and sizes. We have leaders who were wildly successful ICs who have been promoted because that is the next rung in the ladder for their career progression. We have some leaders who have been in leadership people management roles for decades. And I'm wondering, do you see similar resonance across that audience, given how diverse it is, or is this really more like a, oh, okay. As you're continuing to sort of bumble your way through finding your rhythm as a new leader, this is for you. But if you've been doing this for a decade, you're fine. Talk to us about that.
0: It's such a good question. I would say it's been almost universal in my experience. Big companies, small companies. You definitely have people who in oftentimes in more senior roles, or maybe they came from a great training company like LinkedIn where they'd been taught about coaching before. But I remember, you know, we ran this program with one of those people and he said to us, Danny, I don't even, I, you might've even been there, but he said, I feel like because it's gotten so much harder in the last six, 12 months that I've dove, I've taken over so much for my team. I got scared, I dove in, I got my hands in their deals. And I feel like I've been thrown in a river And this was, a you guys literally walked alongside the river and you took my hand and you pulled me out and you reminded me what I need to be doing as a leader of coaching to develop my team. And I just thought that was fascinating. I mean, the other thing I see is I see really senior, really talented leaders who have never fully understood what a proper sales process is. And I don't totally, I'll be honest, I don't totally understand why that is. I don't totally understand why there's this community of people that are oftentimes associated with private equity that have done this a million times. And then there's all the rest of us that haven't, but that's why I just want to spread the good message because this is the thing I am seeing that when you do this, right, it is vast difference in your results time and time. again. it is just one of the number one things that I think we can all be doing right now.
1: I'll go back to a point that I raised earlier, which is we are, as human beings, we all appreciate that sensation of being served. Like at our fundamental human nature level, why do we pay more to go to restaurants or drink a beer at a bar? There is something primal in our essence that to be served is this incredibly, we'll call it maybe therapeutic, we'll call it incredibly pleasing. There's some inherent unavoidable satisfaction. And from an enablement perspective, Oftentimes, our default wiring is to enable the sellers, enable the ICs, doesn't turn off or dismiss that our leaders still crave that sense of being served. So As we continue to experience heightened commoditization, intensifying competition, anything that interferes with the probabilities of us in this go-to-market team being successful, overlooking the Understandable and very legitimate cravings, desires, needs of our leaders should not be marginalized. It cannot be overstated how important it is to maintain some focus that is split and distributed, maybe not perfectly 50-50, evenly between the ICs that are doing this noble work and our leaders. Like we went into leadership because it is a more noble, selfless calling. Sure. And God, like to slow down, whether it's to slow down to assess. Are we a ready fire aim? Are we a ready aim fire to slow down and assess? Am I actually coaching people with open-ended questions? But the decelerated sort of call to action that I'm hearing from you, Sarah, that is all in service of yielding larger returns down the road should not be something that we thumb our nose at, we scoff at, or we simply neglect.
0: Oh, and I I couldn't say it better, Danny, because like these are real frontline leaders and and second and third. These are real people who are working as hard as they can. Yeah, We need to give them things that help them, that act, that are real and that work. And that's why using this reality-based approach, which again is still a competitive differentiator, is such a big deal. One of the things I like to do, especially as we're you know kicking off a program and we're getting to know the leadership team, is ask them, when you got promoted to your current role, that might be VP, director, manager, yeah. et cetera did anybody then go and watch you? Like, did they help you set up your calendar, like your operating cadence and meetings? Did they go then and attend, you know, some of your one-on-ones, some of your coaching sessions, you know, et cetera. And to this day, you know, a class of 50, maybe one or two people raises their hand, right? So it's so funny because we would never hire sellers and then just leave them. Well, some sometimes leave them to their own devices, rarely, but we do it with our leaders. And they are oftentimes asking, am I doing this right? What are other people doing? What am I missing? And um, this is such an injection of confidence and empowerment and excitement. I mean, the faces that we see and the things that we people, hear people say, this is why I got into leadership because you're leaving them with um, structure that liberates. You're leaving them with a distilled framework That isn't a rigid, you have to do it in this sequence. Of course not. That's not the way deals work. But you're giving them a framework that is based in reality, that works, that they can coach to, that drives results. And that's incredible. I mean, I guess the last thing on that, I'd leave you with a story. When I was at Tableau, I was working for the amazing Kelly Wright, who's absolutely phenomenal. She was EVP leading our sales team. And at that time, Power BI was starting to come online, right? oh my God, so Power BI, it's free. They're offering it to their entire customer base. And, you know, I'm going to charge $2,000 at that time for a license of Tableau that on this very, very surface looks similar enough that it was confusing prospects, right? And so what we found is all of a sudden our win rates started going down. It was the first time that it happened. I mean, Tableau had reigned supreme for quite a while. So our team hadn't built up that skill set on how to deal with increasing competition with the impression of commoditization, it wasn't, but the impression. And they just, they didn't know what to do. So, what did Kelly do? She had some of the smartest people in her company stand up and for an hour, every or I think it was 30 minutes actually, every single all hands. So, once a month, they would talk about why we're different, why we're better, what features to talk about, what to say, et cetera. So, did this make an impact on our win rate? No, it <laughs> just kept on going down. So, she turned to the enablement team and she said, Get, you know, can you help out with this? What's going on? Yeah. The first thing that we did is we actually worked with the frontline leaders and listened to the calls of the sales team. And what we found were two things. Number one, they weren't asking about the competition because they weren't oh. used to having to. And when somebody said Power BI, it was literally like, like <laughs> I mean, they had no response. They just, it was word vomit. And so we, again, we worked hand in hand with the frontline leaders and said, how do you, what do you need to be able to coach to this? So first we created a formula called compliment, plant, explain. That was a really great response after the question was asked. And then we worked with the frontline leaders to say, hey, how do you want to measure this? How do you coach to it? So what we ended up doing is we put a four week program in place where week one, we said, hey, we're going to focus on two things, asking every time. And the way that we're going to measure that is by actually ha- looking at who the competitor is in Salesforce. Right now, we have it listed on less than 10% of our deals. Mm-hmm. We want to get that upwards of 80%. So we want you asking, and that's how we're going to measure it. And two is when, you, when they say whoever the competitor is, we want you to have a really tight, you know, sub 90 second response that is very respectful of the client that follows this formula compliment plan to explain So week one, we're going to have, you know, the experts come in and teach this to you, and then your manager is going to listen to you and coach you on this. This week, week two, your manager is going to stand up and teach this because let me tell you, if there's one way to get someone to learn something, have them teach it. (laughs) Week three, you're going to come back to class and teach it. Your manager is going to be coaching the whole way, and then week four, we're going to actually have your manager listen to you on real life calls and certify that you can do this. Want to know what happened at the end of the four weeks? Win rates went up nine percent. Wow. And they persisted for years after that mm-hmm. because they were doing that. And so I just think that this power of leveraging your frontline leaders properly with, you know, proper structure liberates, making time mm-hmm. for coaching, than coaching, you although that takes more time than just telling people what to do, that will lead to actual business results.
1: Amazing. Well, Sarah, we have certainly taken <laughs> no shortage of what I imagine is just a sliver of the pearls of wisdom. That you can offer to ICs, to leaders across all the functions of go to market. I'll wrap momentarily, but just so people are aware, how can they get a hold of you? If again, beyond the tactical blueprints that you've outlined, what is the best way for people to continue to pick your brain?
0: Yeah, thank you so much. So I'd say LinkedIn is a great way to get a hold of me. That's the best way. So Sarah Bedwell, my email is sarah.bedwell.llc at gmail.com. But LinkedIn is the best way to get a hold of me. And I'm happy to just talk about these things too. As you can tell, it's something I'm super passionate about. What I've found is many companies have the resources internally to do these things themselves. They don't need help. Now, if you want or need help, there's also some really great firms in this place, like the Brevet Group, like Cortado, like SBI, and a couple of individuals I really, really trust. DSG and CVI has some really good stuff too. So When, if you would like someone to help you, let me know, and I'm happy to guidepost you, whether that's me or somebody else. But those are the three things that I leave us with today is make sure that you've got a proper sales process that is rigorous opportunity management with customer verified exit criteria that was built from the outside in buyer's journey. Two, make sure those frontline leaders are making time for coaching. And three, make sure that they're coaching properly and you'll be on a great trajectory.
1: Well, you've got Sarah's three pillars to re-correcting, course correcting, changing the course of what your company could be able to achieve. We couldn't leave you, Sarah, without the final question that we ask every single one of our guests, which is this. Sarah, if you could describe sales in just one word, Mm. what would it be?
0: Mm, So good. I would say problem solver. I think that's what when when sales is done properly, that's what we're doing is we're helping real people solve real problems, make their lives better.
1: Amazing. Well, I did say at the start of the episode that I owed you a personal tribute, which is this. I don't think it's an accent, Sarah, and the success you've achieved that it is in I don't know somewhere or another shaped by the family that you grew up with, being a you know daughter of a family of educators. And for folks who haven't had the chance yet to meet Sarah, she has that unique, uncanny ability to make, whether it's you or the group of people that she's talking with, make them feel like they're the only person in that discussion. And that is an incredible superpower. And beyond simply connecting on such a deep and profound level, your selfless commitment to sharing what you've learned with others was a model that paved the way for my own career that oftentimes I think now being an enablement for going on six, seven years, it's not, again, cliche to have me think about what would Sarah do in this moment because you have so universally, unanimously garnered the support, not just the support, but the love and admiration from the folks that you worked for, the folks that you worked with, the folks that worked for you. And I do hope that everyone takes Sarah up on her generous offer, find her on LinkedIn, find her on the internet. Have a chance to intersect with her trajectory personally or professionally because she is a rare individual that everyone in their life deserves to have a chance to meet. So Sarah, again, from like the deepest part of my heart, thank you for indelibly shaping my own brain and my own professional career.
0: I love you, Danny. And watching your career has been incredible. And I know that we're going to continue working together and do more awesome stuff and keep serving. But thank you. That means a lot to me.
1: Well, I love you too. And before we break the internet with
0: all of this love, all of this
1: gush, let's get get back to our listeners out there. Go get your shit tight on your sales process. You heard it from Sarah Bedwell. (laughs) Great. All right. Thanks, Sarah. Thank
0: you, Danny.
1: Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Reveal. If you want more resources on how revenue intelligence can help you create high-performance sales teams, then head on over to gong.io and Like we heard, give us that five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you may listen.